When we come to Luke 14, there were a couple parables that we were going to look at, but the more I studied chapter 14, I realized that it really is a unit, and I didn't want to break it up. Because it all really has to deal with, um, with sort of one subject. And that subject is position. You and I who believe in Jesus, we know that the Bible's the Word of God, but, you know, many people don't believe that. And yet, one of the, one of the things that, to me, just makes the Bible uh, the Word of God, amongst many other things, is how it has maintained its relevancy down through the ages. Uh, no human book could do that. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, this happened several thousand years ago, and yet the things that Jesus is speaking on and speaking about and speaking to in this passage tonight is just as relevant a couple thousand years later as it was when Jesus was on earth. Because of what it reminds us of is that human beings haven't changed much in a couple of thousand years. Our technology might ha- have grown, but, but morally speaking, uh, character-wise, the needs of a human being, the wants of a human being, the desires of a human being, none of them have really changed very much in a couple thousand years. And what is before us in Luke 14 is this whole idea of jockeying for position. It, it's sort of what, you know, human beings do in their life. Sometimes even Christians get caught up in that whole you know, striving for a certain position in this world, you know, moving up the ladder, if you will, of success and all of that. That's what's happening here. Jesus basically is is in the midst of people who are jockeying for position in their world. They're wanting to be up front and out front. They want They want to be the center of attention. They want to be that prominent person. And Jesus is going to address all of that tonight. And he's going to use several parables to do it and to teach some truth about position, if you will. Because in this passage, we're going to see there's really two two ways we we can do this. We can adopt the philosophy of the world and we can sort of go after position in the world and seek it and make that our goal and our aim and our pursuit in life. Or we can make our primary goal and aim to pursue God and be his disciple. And what Jesus is going to share with us tonight is that's what I'm calling my followers to do. That's who I'm calling them to be. And if they will do that, then they don't have to ever worry about position. I'll take care of that. I'll make sure that my followers are in the position that they need to be in to bring me glory and to also be what's best for them spiritually. I'll make sure of that. If they just trust me enough to follow me. So that's what this is all about. And it takes place at the house of a spiritual leader in Israel. 
who invites Jesus and, and, and other people over one night, and they're sitting there and they're dining. And we know that culturally speaking, that it's very significant to share a meal with one another. That was a significant thing. And that's exactly what was happening here. And in Jesus' day, especially in these kind of homes, they, they would have configured, if you will, the seating arrangement sort of in a U, or think of a horseshoe. And, and the person who is most important and, and most prominent would have sat sort of at the bottom of the U or the horseshoe. And then everyone else, sort of the pecking order, would have fallen out that way. In fact, in a similar way, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight, you see sort of that same configuration even at the Last Supper, where, you know, Jesus, and then you've got all these, the pecking order, if you will, of the disciples. Very interesting, though, if you study the Last Supper, and you even study the conversations that Jesus was having with his disciples, you realize that, yes, John was very close to Jesus, probably in one of those two places of prominence on either side of him. But guess who the other one was? Judas. Because remember, Peter actually was down at the other end of the table. He was always yelling at John, Hey, John! Can you tell, ask Jesus this? You know, So he wasn't next to Jesus. So it's sort of interesting, again. And so we see that here in Luke 14. Notice, Luke records, now one Sabbath. And that's significant. We're going to come to that in just a minute. It was no accident that Jesus was invited over to this Pharisee's home on the Sabbath. Now one Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a leader of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. They were inspecting and observing him meticulously. Jesus was always under constant observation by others. People were always watching him closely. And if we are his followers, we've got to accept that as well. We might not like it. But when we're out there, especially in the world, and people know that we are a Christian... They're going to do the same thing to us that they did to Jesus. They're going to watch every move that we make. Because remember, Jesus even said, the disciple's not greater than his teacher. If this is how they treated me, that's how they're going to treat you. And these religious leaders had not invited Jesus over just for a casual dinner. No, they invited him over because they were trying to catch him doing something or saying something that they could obviously use as ammunition against him. That's why in verse 2, I believe that this man who has this disease, which the Bible describes as dropsy, it was just a Jewish way of saying he was swollen and it was primarily because he either had a heart condition or he had a kidney condition and the fluid, you know, did not flush out of his system like a normal person's would. And so therefore his face would be swollen, his legs would be swollen and all of that. That's what they called it. And the Bible says there right in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Now again, I believe that this man was a plant. 
He could not have been at that house of the leader of the Pharisees had he not been invited. And he was brought there on the Sabbath because they're wanting to see, okay, what's this Jesus going to do? Because again, remember, in their mind, you don't do anything on the Sabbath. And yet they've heard that this Jesus has done good things on the Sabbath before. He's worked. And that's a no-no to them. So will he do something with this man or not? So Jesus asked the experts in religious law and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And notice their response. They remained silent. They said nothing. For a couple reasons. One, silence many times is a passive form of rebellion. If you really want to learn and grow and engage and maybe be open to something, then you'll have a conversation and you'll talk about it. But if you just shut down, then you have no interest really in anything. You don't really want to know the other person's perspective, and you certainly don't want to engage in any kind of meaningful conversation. But the other thing is this. In the law of Moses, there was no prohibition for healing or doing good on the Sabbath. The reason why the religious leaders of Israel thought this and, and, and came to this is because this was their own traditions that they had invented, that added to the Word of God. In fact, keep your finger there in Luke and go back real quick to the Gospel of Mark. I think it's Mark chapter 7. My memory's not as good as it used to be. Yes, Mark 7 verse 8. Notice this quickly here. Jesus talking about the religious leaders, say they have no regard for the command of God because you hold fast to your human tradition. He also said to them, you neatly reject the commandment of God in order to set up your tradition. Verse 13, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition. It means you have made the word of God lose the authority and force that it should have in someone's life because you put your traditions above the Word of God. And that was true with how they looked at the Sabbath. They would come along and tell people and teach people, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. Well, that's not what God said. But that's what they said. And they made their tradition more important than the Word of God. So that's what's going on here too. And it reminds us, if you will, about a contrast here right from the start. Are we more concerned about the Word of God or tradition? What's, where's our focus? Obviously, in this case, the religious leaders were more concerned about holding and holding on to their traditions than they were what the Word of God really said. So then Jesus took hold of the man, healed him, and sent him away. I, I think that Jesus did not want this man to get caught up in, in what was going on there. In a sense, it was a way to protect this man. I'm going to heal you, now get out of here. Don't, you don't need to be a part of this. Because these people did not invite you 
for the right reasons. They, they weren't properly motivated. I'm going to heal you, but scram. Let me at him. Then he says to them, which of you, if you have a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Jesus is also now pointing out their hypocrisy in the sense that they're okay if something happens, if they do it. But the real problem here was that Jesus was doing it. See, that, that was the problem. Because if something like this happened to them, they wouldn't just ignore it. They would take care of it even if it was the Sabbath. But if Jesus does it, I got a problem with it. And so what it also reminds us of is this. The reason they were acting this way is they felt threatened by Jesus. Remember, they were the religious leaders of Israel. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is getting this attention that they used to get. And they feel very threatened by Jesus. And so one of the things that we have here, too, is that contrast of, do we live, in a sense, always in a threatened state because of others? Or are we secure in who we are, who God created us to be, where God has us now, and all of that. Because again, it's one of, one of two things. E- either we're going to go through life, just like the religious leaders, and, and everything that someone does, we're always going to look at that as a threat, or we're going to get to a place with God where we are living secure. And again, this is all the context of these parables that we're going to look at tonight. That all have to do with position. Because why did the religious leaders of Israel feel that way? Because for them, it was all about their position. They were trying to hold on to the position. And now all of a sudden, here comes a guy who's drawing attention away from them, and they don't like it. So again, it's all about jockeying for position. And so that's why then, the Bible says in verse 7, that when Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. Notice that Jesus was paying attention to basically the musical chairs that was going on. I mean, there might not be music playing, but there were people scrambling for certain chairs at the table there at the leader of the Pharisee's house. I would have loved to have been there. I mean, can you imagine, you know, that's my chair, you know. You know, I'm sitting there, you know. And they were deliberately, the word chose here means they were deliberately selecting the chief positions. That's what it means by the places of honor. They, they wanted to be the ones that was as close to, you know, the grand poobah as possible. Because again, there, there was a pecking order. It, it's going to show how important I am based on where I sit. You know. Because it's all about position. And it's all about holding on to those positions. So here's what Jesus said. He said, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor because a person more distinguished than you may have been invited by your host. So the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your place. 
then ashamed, you will begin to move to the least important place. But when you're invited, go and take the least important place so that when the host approaches, he will say to you, friend, move up here to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who share the meal with you. For everyone who exalts himself, everyone who elevates himself, everyone who promotes himself will be humbled by God. The word literally means to be made low or brought low. But the one who humbles himself, who behaves in an unassuming manner, devoid of all haughtiness, if you will, and pride, will be exalted or honored by God. So bottom line, in this parable, what's Jesus teaching? Again, based on this whole subject of position. He's basically saying to us, again, in contrast, there's two ways to live. I can seek to live always going through self-promotion and promoting self, or... I can trust God to be the one to promote me to where he wants me. And Jesus is basically saying, which one will you choose? Will you seek to assert yourself and push yourself and, and, and promote yourself to a certain place? Or will you trust in a God who can place you and put you anywhere he wants to? I mean, do we not see that throughout the Word of God? Think of all the characters. Say, say like Joseph, who, you know, had some family trouble. And, and yet, God was going to make sure that Joseph ascended to the second most powerful position on earth at that time. Only Pharaoh was greater than Joseph. Think of Daniel. Think of Esther. Think of all these Bible characters. Think of David, the shepherd boy that was despised again by his own family, and yet God made sure that he became king of Israel. See, what God is saying to us here is, look... If you just focus on following me, I'll make sure you get the position that you deserve. You don't have to sit there throughout your life and try to be like these religious leaders and go through all this self-promotion. I'll make sure you get where you... You just focus on following me. Because I'm big enough as God and I am sovereign enough as God to make sure you get where you need to be. Trust me. Trust me. Then he goes on in verse 12. He also said to the man who had invited him. Why did he say this to the man who invited him? Because the man who had invited him practiced exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He invited all the other grand poobahs along with him except Jesus and the man who had the dropsy. Because it was, you know, it was, hey, all the important people are over at my house. You know. So Jesus says, when you host a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors so you can be invited by them in return and get repaid. Now listen, Jesus isn't saying it's not good or spiritual to invite friends over for dinner. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is this. Is my motivation for 
for positioning myself with the people that I do is my motivation to get something in return, to get something back from them? Is that why I position myself with the people that I do? Or is my reasoning and motivation for positioning myself with the people I do is truly just to give to them and not to expect anything in return? Again, position. How am I positioning myself with the people in my life? Is it truly to give and to give away? Or is it always to do something in order to get something back? Which is why then Jesus says, When you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then you will be blessed. Then you will receive God's favor. Because they cannot repay you. You're truly doing it just because you want to and because you want to give, not because you're doing this to certain people so that what you can get out of them and what you can get back from them. Which is, again, the way many people live. Based upon what? Position. People are very strategic, if you will, just like they were when they chose certain seats when they came over to the leader of the Pharisee's house. It might seem like they're very, you know, nonchalant, haphazard, but no, no. They're choosing certain people and picking them out to hang because there's a deliberateness there. There's an intentionality there, you see. And you and I have to be careful of that. Again, is it okay to invite family and friends over and hang out and have a meal? Absolutely. Absolutely. But then notice Jesus goes on to say, for you will be rewarded or repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. So notice something here too, Jesus is teaching. That properly, properly, you will receive back, but not now. The real proper reward for the way you live will be in eternity. So then here's the other contrast. Am I living for immediate gratification or am I living more for eternal reward? Based on position, you see. Which again, then you you go, okay, then am I more, more interested in position on earth? Because I want the immediate gratification of the people of this earth and the things of this world? Or... Am I more interested in getting my reward in heaven and laying up treasure there, as Jesus talks about, and seeking those things that are above, Colossians 3, 1 and 2? So again, these parables, now you can start to see how they pop whenever you see the context of all this early on in chapter 14. The next one then, I love this. You ever, you ever have like a, a, a meal, a family meal especially, or you got invited someplace, maybe where even friends were there, and, and something got tense, maybe a, the conversation took a, took a turn and, and things got tense, and, and there's always at least one person in the crowd that just wants to make everybody okay with each other and, and break the tension? Well, that's what's about to happen here. Notice says, when one of those at the meal then with Jesus heard this, he said, blessed is everyone who will feast at the kingdom of God. Let's get on to something else, folks, because it's, it's getting a little hot in here. 
Because it doesn't even say, it's just like this guy just blurts it out like, oh, well, let's just talk about something nice, can we? Just, can't we just all get along? You know? So Jesus takes that opportunity as well. And here's basically what Jesus is teaching in this parable. He's saying you and I again have a choice based upon what position we're looking for in life. We can either choose to feast at the king's table every day and receive the king's feast, or we can choose the table of the world and what the world offers us. And the sad thing is, Jesus says, is that my table is ready. You can feast at my table every day. But he says so many people make excuses of why they don't want to come to my table every day after I've prepared them a sumptuous and wonderful meal. No, they, they'd rather do other things. Other things are more important. Material things are more important. Family's more important. There's always something more important. So that's why Jesus said to him, a man, verse 16, once gave a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time for the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who had been invited, come because everything is now ready or prepared. But one after another, they all began to make excuses or beg off. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going out to examine them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married and I cannot come. So the slave came back and reported this to his master, and the master of the household was furious. I have prepared this feast for you. I have prepared this wonderful banquet for you. And you've got something more important than feasting at my table? And we're going to see that I believe Jesus here isn't talking to those that aren't following him. I think he's talking to followers, as we're going to see here again in the context in just a moment. And it's just, again, a sobering reminder of how many Christians, or at least those who profess to be Christians, just have all other things that are just more important every day than feasting at the king's table. And I think what Jesus is saying is, is there anything more important than feasting at my table? Shouldn't that be something that you jump at rather than always go, you know what, Jesus, I got something more important than sitting at your table every day and placing myself in that position. I, you know, the world over here, I've got other opportunities, Jesus. I'd rather sit at that table today rather than yours. So the master said, well, go out quickly to the streets and alleys of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Then the slave said, sir, what you've instructed has been done and there's still room. There's still a place at the table. There's still an opportunity to sit at the king's feast. So the master said to the slave, then go out to the highways and country roads and urge people to come in. Persuade them with a sense of urgency. Tell them, I've got a table ready for you, and you can sit at it so that my house will be filled, because God wants his house to be filled. God doesn't want a half filled house. 
For I tell you that not one of those individuals who were invited will taste my banquet. They're not going to experience or enjoy what I have because they were too busy. Too many other things. Position. Position. Which brings us then to this. The culmination of this great chapter. Now notice, large crowds were accompanying Jesus and turning to them, he said, and can I just say before we read this, Jesus didn't take the course that many pastors and, and church leaders do today about how to, to, to get people to come to your church no matter what. Because Jesus wants his house to be filled, but he wants it with people who are truly interested in being there. And so when you, when you start to, to really dissect, if you will, the, the call of Jesus on people's life, especially the call of discipleship that I've been blogging about all year, what you find is that Jesus almost makes it to the point like, I'm going to actually turn more people off by what I'm about to say than bring people in. Which is exactly what he does here. Notice he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Again, position. Jesus isn't teaching us to hate people here. He's saying, allegiance to me should be above everyone else. I'm looking for disciples who have an undivided heart. Because the best thing we can do for our friends and families is to put Jesus first. You know, many even Christians think, well, the best thing I can do for my family is to put my family first. No. Not as a follower of Jesus Christ. The best thing you can do for your family, put Jesus Christ first. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Position. You see, again, back up in verse 25, there were large crowds who were accompanying him. They were associating with him. They were affiliating with him, but they weren't truly, faithfully following him like disciples. Position. There are many people today, many people down through history since Jesus came, who they were willing to associate with Jesus and affiliate with Jesus, just like people are, you know, well, what church are you associated or affiliated? Well, I'm, I go to the Oasis Church in, in Chandler, Arizona. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, I'm associated with the church. And that's what I mean, you know, religious people were associated or affiliated with some institution but not faithfully following Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus even says in verse 33 of chapter 14, in the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his possessions. It doesn't mean that Jesus wants all your possessions. It means that a disciple is willing to let go of all the possessions. It doesn't mean you'll have to. It doesn't mean Jesus will ask you to, but there will be times where he will test your willingness to let go of everything else in order to follow him. 
Because again, Jesus is looking for people whose allegiance to him is above everything else. Undivided heart. Position. Some will just want to affiliate or associate with Jesus, but there will be those who will truly want to be his disciple. And why is it important to be his disciple and be in that position rather than just associating and affiliating with Jesus? Because in that position, faithful followers will follow through. They will finish rather than just start something, which is where Jesus is going next. Position. Are we more interested in finishing or are we just more interested in starting things, but never finishing? So notice that's why Jesus then says this. Verse 27, whatever or whoever, excuse me, does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a large tower does not sit down first and compute the cost, the price to be paid to see if he has enough money to what? Complete it or finish it. By the way, Jesus points out something that we need to be reminded of here. And that is every endeavor in life, there's a price. Everything that we choose to do, there's a price for it. So all Jesus is saying is, look, there's a price to be paid for everything that you choose to do in life. So why not be my follower and pay that price? Because that's going to be the thing that gives you the most eternal return. Can you choose... Other things, absolutely. But you're going to pay a price for that. And the return on that investment is not going to be the kind of return that I can give you. But there's always a price to be paid for everything. Otherwise, verse 29, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish the tower, all who see it will begin to make fun of him. They will say, this man began to build and was not able to finish it. Literally, see it through to the end. You see, the reason why Jesus calls people to discipleship or to be disciples is because it is only through faithfully following him every day as a disciple will we have the follow-through to finish. How many do we know? In our own lives. I knew there was a reason I had to get this one. Because I'm losing my voice. (laughs) I think those are subtle ways God says, okay, cut it off. How many of us know people, whether they're Christian or they claim to be or whatever, who again, started out, but where are they now? Have they sustained over the long haul that commitment? And can I say this at this point too? This is what the Oasis is all about. We are a church who are calling people to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not interested in just, or satisfied in just seeing people come to Christ and that's it. That's wonderful. But that's not what it's about. That's not what God has called us to do. As the church, God called us to make disciples. To call people to discipleship. 
And can I say too, at this point too, that's why many people get concerned even when we start talking about buildings and having our own church. And I've even heard, you know, uh, I'm so afraid that we're going to lose the intimacy and, 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 you know, this church family that we have and we're going to grow so big. Can I tell you folks, can I just tell you, we're never going to be a big church. And let me tell you why we're never going to be a big church. Because just as Jesus did, this message is not going to resonate with most Christians today. The message that we teach and preach here isn't one that's going to draw hundreds and thousands of people, just like it did in Jesus' day. Because when you call people to discipleship, just like Jesus did, most of them just say, that's not for me. I'm okay to affiliate or associate with Jesus, but you start talking about putting him above everything else and, and, and laying down my life and taking up my cross and, and being willing to renounce all my... Pa- no, 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 no. So don't worry. You don't have to worry about that. But here's the cool thing. The people that do believe in this ministry and do come here, they're going to be the ones that just like us, are going to faithfully follow through and be sustained over the long haul. Because that's what Jesus calls us to. We are going to finish, not just start. Which is why he then says this. What king going out to confront another king in battle will not sit down first and determine whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the the one coming against him with 20,000. If he cannot succeed, he will send a representative while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, not one of you again can be my disciple if he's not willing to renounce all his own possessions. One other thing then, as far as position, and I love this, how it comes to this, and unless you really study this, it is hard to see on the surface Jesus says, salt is good. And salt was very valuable in Jesus' day. But salt that is diluted, it literally leaches out, you see, and loses its flavor or loses its strength, loses its distinctiveness. Jesus says, how then can its flavor be restored? How can it be useful? How can it be beneficial? Well, it can't. It is of no value And I love this. The word value here means place or position. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. He's saying, so this salt has no position or place of value because it can't be used. And Jesus is saying, do you want to be an instrument that I can use? Do you want to be in that place? then be salt that never loses its distinctiveness, that never loses its strength, that never is diluted. Give me that undivided heart. Be my disciple. And there will always be a place and position for you in my kingdom. And you will have great value in my kingdom. And I will be able to use you to impact and influence others. For Jesus went on to say that salt that does lose its flavor, is of no value for the soil or for the manure pile. It is to be thrown out, literally set aside. 
And then he says, the one who has ears to hear had better listen. You better pay attention carefully. All about position tonight. Because we entered this dining room of this leader of the Pharisees beginning in the chapter where everyone was scrambling and jockeying for position. And so Jesus seized on this moment not only to heal that man, but to do a lot of teaching and instructing because all he saw around him were human beings that were just consumed with self-promotion and making sure that they got in certain positions in this world. And Jesus is saying to all of us here through that night in that Pharisee's house, if you're just willing to be my disciple, I'll take care of your position. I'll make sure that you are always an instrument that I can use, one of great value. But don't worry about running after what the world runs after. You run after me. That's all you need to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this amazing scene from the life of Jesus. We can only imagine how tense that was in that house that night. And yet Jesus never backed down from the truth that would set people free. Jesus didn't come to be popular with people. Jesus came to set us free and to deliver us. And He's calling us, as He called men and women back then, to be His disciple. To be willing to place our allegiance to Him above everyone and everything else in our lives. To live unto Him with an undivided heart. To be willing to let go of everything in our life, including everything that we own, if it means to continue to follow Him. Because, Lord, if we could just get to the place where we realize that if we have you and we are following you, then we have everything that we'll ever need. Every, every desire, every want, every aspiration of our life as human beings can be fulfilled and satisfied in you, Jesus. And may we see that once again here tonight. Thank you, God, for your powerful words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Sunday, Sunday, we're going to talk about Jonah on Sunday. The prayer from the bottom of the ocean in the huge fish's belly. Hope you'll be here on Sunday.